This is Books, Beats, and Beyond, where we will bring you provocative music and engaging interviews from music artists, authors, historians, and others barely acknowledged by the mainstream media. I'll be your host, Taj. Today, I am talking to Dr. Andreas Resendez about his explosive book titled The Other Slavery, The Uncovered Story of Indian Enslavement in America. The Los Angeles Times says The Other Slavery is a book that can change the course of an entire field and upset the received notions and received knowledge of the generations. The San Francisco Chronicle states, no other book before is so thoroughly related to the broad history of Indian slavery in the Americas, and not just its facts, but the very reason it has been overlooked. And the New Yorker says, Resendez corrects a blind spot in our understanding of North American history and illuminates mechanisms by which present-day versions of the practice endure. Dr. Resendez is a professor and historian at the University of California, Davis, and is also author specializing in colonial Latin America, borderlands, and the Iberian world. Dr. Resendez, thank you for being on the show. It is a pleasure to be here. Um, again, the book is titled The Other Slavery, The Uncovered Story of Indian Enslavement in America. Can you explain the title? Um, well, um, the uh, other slavery uh, refers to a system of bondage that targeted uh, Native Americans as opposed to um, Africans or African Americans. Um, so it is other in that sense. Uh, but it is also other in the sense that it, is, it was a slavery that, um, that was not codified and was not uh, sanctioned by, by states as African slavery was, but rather... It is a, is a peculiar brand of bondage that was early on outlawed in the in the Spanish uh, world, uh, and yet uh, those who stood to benefit by keeping mastery over uh, Native Americans found ways to get around these prohibitions, and so they devised uh, new mechanisms, new words, um, new institutions to. Uh, to essentially uh, continue to hold Indians in bondage uh, without calling it uh, slavery. So, so it is other in the sense that it requires a little bit of detective work in order to find out uh, exactly what is happening. And also it has taken us very, very long time to just uh, uh, get a, a better sense of its sheer scope. Uh, so why, why did you write this book? Well, um, the, I uh, essentially stumbled on this project. Uh, I had written a previous book, uh, which was very different in uh, in, uh, in its conception. It was basically a survival story of three Europeans and one African who were the first in the in the 1520s and 1530s, so very early on, and they were the first to uh, to essentially walk across uh, what is now northern Mexico and the United States, so southwestern United States. They were enslaved by Indians. Um, and so I very early on wanted to find more context about, uh, so, so what does that mean? Uh, what are the uh, slaving practices of Native Americans? Um, but in the course of also uh, doing this research, I found out that uh, 
uh, even before Spanish settlements were established in these in what was this in this area, which was way beyond the pale of Spanish control, um, there were Spanish slavers um, already um, working. So that got me thinking about just the uh, the uh, progress of colonization and the role that uh, the enslavement of Indians played in that. And so that's how the the book began. Hmm. Well, you state that uh, we have a historical myopia about slavery, and you talk about the troublesome of an oversimplification of slavery. Can you explain that? Sure. Um, I I guess I start out by um, uh, noting that uh, uh, today uh, the the vast – we have modern forms of enslavement, of course, and it affects uh, many peoples in Asia – uh, in um, uh, in and you know in other and throughout the world, yet we have tended to really zero in on African slavery, because but but in some ways African slavery, which was a terrible, a devastating um, chapter of our of, of the uh, of the history of humanity, was a some sort of a very unique uh, situation in which, by virtue of racial prejudice. Um, and uh, also uh, because of tied into uh, uh, reasons of the fight against this Islam, this particular uh, slavery was, as I said, sanctioned by states. It was made legal. Um, but uh, alongside with that, uh, there were other forms of bondage that we really need to pay to attention. And in some ways, these other forms of bondage are a more direct continuity to the forms of enslavement that we witness today and into the into the present day. Mm. So when I was reading the book, it said that Native Americans would enslave each other. And I, if I read it correctly, this was even before uh, the Europeans came to America. That's correct. Um, yeah. Uh, the uh, I mean, the phenomenon of enslavement uh, spans the entire world. Uh, it's not something that only the Europeans or only the Native Americans or only Africans did. Um, uh, and there is very clear evidence that that uh, went on um, at, the, at the, you know, before the arrival of Europeans uh, into into the New World. Now, what's really interesting about these uh, pre-Columbian forms of uh, enslavement is that uh, they were very uh, wrapped up in specific cultural contexts. So in central Mexico, for example, captives were made for the purpose of, uh, of using as sacrificial victims. Um, in some, um, in the, among the Iroquois, for example, uh, they waged what, what, they, what were known as mourning wars, which is uh, one group would wage war on a neighboring group in order to uh, avenge the death of one of their members or to replace uh, somebody who had who had died, um, and so this form of slavery once again was very very uh, took very specific cultural um, traits. Um, what happened um, after the arrival of Europeans is that these pre-existing forms of enslavement, which were very uh, constrained in very cult- in very specific cultural context, um, became uh, commodified. And they expanded in ways that would seem to resemble what we understand as slavery. That is, they 
captives were exchanged for other goods or for money. Um, and so, uh, so in, so in, in that way, these pre-existing forms of enslavement merged with this, um, with this European uh, introduced form of slavery. You are a spark that will ignite a thousand more people. We will be one million strong. countries were involved in Native American slavery and, and to what extent? All of them. Um, I don't... Uh, oftentimes, discussions about slavery um, degenerate into finger-pointing of one nation or another. And so I start out my book by pointing out that everybody did it. Everybody did it with very few exceptions, and those exceptions have to do more with ecological niches rather than willingness or ability to, to do it. Um, uh, so everybody did it, uh, Native Americans as well as European uh, uh, colonists. So, um, so Spain did it, Portugal did it, England did it, France did it, the Dutch uh, did it. So you name it. Everybody um, participated in, the, uh, in this sprawling business. Um, however, uh, there were uh, differences in scope uh, because um, so so Spain and Portugal uh, were among the largest uh, enslavement of Indians. In part because France and uh, England uh, specialized uh, more uh, later on, especially in the in the 17th and 18th and 19th centuries, into um, into African slavery. Uh, in part because of the geography as, as well, um, and largely because, uh, especially in the case of Spain, Spain essentially got the lion's share of the colonies in the New World and the most heavily populated areas of the New World. So, their, uh, so Spain's ability to uh, to profit by uh, by uh, putting some of these Native Americans in bondage situations uh, was so much greater than any of the other uh, colonial powers. Wow. Talk, talk about your findings on slavery uh, of the indigenous populations in the Caribbean. Yes, well, um, that is a very, um, um, I, I think the Caribbean is a very, 
a very extreme example of these phenomenon, uh, in part because it was the earliest set of colonies that uh, that experienced uh, these uh, the, the ravages of, of enslavement. Uh, Indian slavery, as I said, was abolished um, early on by the Spanish crown, but it uh, um, as, as early as 1500. Uh, so very, very early on, just uh, eight years after Columbus's arrival. But um, in the very beginning, um, the Spanish crown uh, allowed for Indian slavery in some exceptional circumstances. Uh, for example, uh, when, uh, when Spaniards found Indians who were cannibalistic, uh, cannibalism being such a nefarious uh, sin that it required extraordinary measures to curb that, uh, then Indian slavery was permitted. Or um, they were, Spanish colonies were also permitted to uh, purchase Indians who were, had already been enslaved by other Indians. Uh, so this, this was known as ransoming. So ransoming was okay. Um, and the, the reason for that being that uh, it was better for these Indians, for the soul of these uh, Indians who were already enslaved into pagan um, groups, it was better for them to be enslaved by Christians. Um, they would be able to save their soul uh, conceivably by doing that. So, so that was also allowed. Um, and finally, a, a third uh, uh, exception was uh, that uh, Indians who were uh, waging war against the Spanish um, could be legally enslaved. Of, of these three exceptions, the one that was used most often was the cannibalism, uh, which explains why uh, many Spanish colonists found cannibals wherever they went. Um, and although cannibalism was real in some quarters in the Caribbean and, and in other parts of the, uh, of the New World, of course, um, but, um, but that... Uh, because of these exceptions in the first five decades of the 16th century, um, uh, the, the Caribbean really suffered uh, from, from the ravages of uh, enslavement. And, um, and so the question arises as to, uh, to the point where uh, basically the, uh, much of the, the vast majority of the indigenous population of the Caribbean was wiped out in this period. And the usual story is that uh, that germs essentially uh, decimated the Indian population. But if you look at the record, it is not really um, it is not really clear. And many many of the uh, of, of the eyewitnesses' accounts record um, a lot of destruction based on Indian slavery. So while we will probably never know for sure uh, whether more Indians died as a result of virgin soil epidemics or as a result of enslavement and other forms of violence, overwork, etc. Um, if we were to just make a judgment based on the sources, we would have to conclude that uh, Indian slavery was at least as important a cause for the decimation of Indians as epidemics. That's incredible, yeah, because usually we hear it's all about the epidemics. Uh, that, that, sure. that really opened my mind when I saw that in your book. My pride is fully loaded, my heart is still intact If 
takes a nation of millions to try and hold us back. While we've been working with systems designed to jerk us, we're steady beefing each other and losing sight of our purpose, huh? We holding weapons and naming them for protection. What you say and what you reckon, I'll learn you a fucking lesson by dreams that turn to dust from trusting the wrong people. But trust me, we can fight you with nothing but strong people, yeah. From Mohawk to the blood, the stony in the creek. The OG in the Soto held it down for centuries. You know about it, baby. The blood of former chiefs. They calling me a beast the way I tear a track to pieces. It's part of my profession. There ain't a single question about my loyalty and to my people. This is destiny. I see my bad, then I'm going out to get it. You either with it or you ain't, but I ain't blowing my position out. Queen Isabella, I didn't realize she was against Native American enslavement to a certain extent. Is that correct? Yes, to a, to a great extent. Uh, so um, um, the, the Spanish and other Europeans uh, um, had practiced slavery for, uh, for centuries. Um, they had slaves coming from, so Spain in particular, for example, had slaves coming from the Eastern Mediterranean. They had slaves uh, coming from the Canary Islands, the so-called wanches. Uh, they had uh, slaves coming from Western Africa and introduced by Portuguese merchants. Um, so, uh, so, so slavery was a legal institution uh, in Europe. Um, and uh, whenever slave sales were conducted in Spain and elsewhere in the Mediterranean world, um, there had to be an official that had to interview the, uh, the slaves to make sure that they were proper slaves. Hmm. And by that, uh, they meant uh, that were individuals who were enemies of the Spanish monarchy or, you know, or, or whatever other uh, European nation uh, uh, was in question, and also that they were enemies of Catholicism um, or, of, or of Christianity more broadly. Um, so um, what it boiled down to often was uh, people of, uh, of, of Muslim origins were proper, so were regarded proper slaves. But other peoples um, were not as clearly, uh, it was not as clear that they should be enslaved. For example, Greek Orthodox peoples who sometimes showed up in these slave uh, sales. Uh, some owners or prospective buyers had some qualms about acquiring such individuals, uh, for example. Um, and the, the case of the Native Americans was very complicated because they were not Muslim, but they were quote-unquote pagans, uh, and they were not waging uh, an offensive war against Spain, but it was quite the opposite. Um, so, so the Spanish monarchy had to um, consult um, lawyers and theologians about what to do and whether uh, Native Americans were enslavable. And there were, of course, different opinions. But uh, Queen Isabella early on became a, a decided uh, opponent of the enslavement of uh, Indians. And she was very clear about that. In fact, she had a track record. She had also opposed the enslavement of Wanches, for example, the inhabitants from the, uh, from the Canary Islands. Mm. 
Um, so, um, so yes. Uh, so, so the Spanish monarchy, as I said uh, early on, um, was against uh, Indian slavery, contrary to what we may think. Uh, and it was more the uh, entrepreneurs on the ground who really tried to find ways to get around this provision, who uh, disobeyed orders, and and who essentially uh, made drove Indian slavery underground and made made it far more difficult to detect and far more difficult to stamp out. Mm. And this is kind of Christopher Columbus had it basically had to come up with an alternative since he slavery was prohibited. He I read it correctly, uh, he used the Native Americans more as labor to get more of the resources out of the island in that regards. Is that correct? Um, well, I mean, Christopher Columbus was the um, the person who initially proposed the idea of enslaving Indians. I mean, Christopher Columbus uh, uh, made a contract with the Spanish crown uh, in which he would uh, he would uh, essentially uh, pocket a, percent, a certain percentage of all the marketable commodities found were in these new lands that he discovered. Uh, he was hoping to find uh, the Orient, of course, and he uh, so he was initially thinking about precious spices and um, uh, and silk, etc. Uh, and he found that these islands that had no precious spices. They had chili pepper, but no precious spices. There, there was a little bit of gold um, and uh, and a lot of Indians, a lot of people. Um, so in order to continue financing his expeditions and his activities, he proposed to the to the Spanish monarchs to um, to send slaves. And he also touted, he's very explicit about it. He says that these slaves are so much better than the ones you find in Africa and the, the the value of these slaves in the markets in Europe for slaves should be at least double what uh, what Africans um, what the price for Af for the price for Africans. So um, so he was very early on one of the proponents for the wholesale enslavement uh, uh, of Indians. He actually had a model in mind because he had visit he had Christopher Columbus spent several years in Portugal before coming to uh, going to Spain. And he had traveled with the Portuguese to the coast of Ghana, and he had seen the first sub-Saharan um, outpost of the Portuguese, which uh, served in part as a slaving post. So he knew um, how that business was conducted, how the Portuguese had done it, and he proposed something similar for the for the Caribbean. He was opposed uh, ultimately by the by the Spanish uh, crown. Um, and by the by, Queen Isabella and uh, and Ferdinand, King, King Ferdinand, as you as you point out, we are the tribe that they cannot see. We live on an industrial reservation. We are the Halusa Nation. We have been called the Indians. We have been called Native American. We have been called hostile. We have been called pagan. We have been called militant. We have been called many names. We are the Halusa Nation. We are the human beings. The callers of names cannot see us, but we can see them. 
We are the Halusa Nation. Our DNA is of earth and sky. Our DNA is of past and future. We are the Halusa Nation. We are the evolution. The continuation. Later on the book, you you talk about some of the uh, insurrections against the other slavery, Um, especially you talk about the Pueblo Native American insurrection of 1680 in New Mexico. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, um, This is a a massive insurrection we're talking about in the late uh, 17th century. Um, It uh, was so massive that uh, it drove all Spaniards out of this territory for, uh, for a number of years. Wow. Uh, the entire Spanish population was driven out of this uh, of, of, of this territory, and so the question, the obvious question, is exactly why uh, did they uh, do that? Mm-hmm. And historians and other scholars over the over the centuries, because this is such an old uh, rebellion, have pondered uh, the reasons for it, for this uprising, uh, an uprising that required a lot of coordination, because what we are talking about is um, Pueblo Indians, and Pueblos were um, communities of in, in indigenous peoples, but it, they were very uh, centered around the village. So, there, so, so, the, so what we have is that clusters of different Pueblos, that's why they were called Pueblo Indians, each one being quite independent from each other and quite, quite autonomous. So it required a lot of coordination. The only way to expel the Spanish overlords was to uh, to uh, rise up simultaneously and to uh, launch this massive rebellion, which indeed came to pass. Um, and so something really terrible must have been happening to persuade all of these different Indians to risk their lives to go against a foe that had superior military technology, firearms and horses, um, and to, uh, to be able to prevail um, over them. Uh, of course, the the explanation for that uh, is complicated. So there were there was there was something to the effect that they were being um, oppressed uh, in the religious sense. So, so the Spanish were notorious for proselytizing in favor of Catholicism. Uh, so that was one part of the equation. Uh, also, some epidemics epidemics, for example, um, may have played a role, or some uh, scholars claim. Uh, what I tried to do in that chapter of the book was to uh, to showcase uh, the extent to which New Mexico functioned as a backwater province for the burgeoning silver mining industry that was going on to the south. So what I point out is that uh, that uh, Spaniards went to New Mexico precisely looking for silver and also looking for people to get the silver out of the ground in the mines that already existed further south. So so I try to make the case that really this rebellion 
stand out. It's it's an anti-slavery rebellion, essentially. It is a rebellion because many of these uh, Pueblo Indians and many of the surrounding groups, so New Mexico is a very complicated case in which the Pueblos have ties with surrounding nomadic Indians, especially Apaches, but Navajos. Um, so uh, so these, these indigenous world had suffered the ravages of, uh, of enslavement, and that was uh, one very powerful reason, perhaps the leading, or I argue that is the leading reason that allowed them to coalesce and to agree to this bold plan to expel all Spaniards from the territory, as they indeed did. Yeah, it was a big feat, because uh, uh, you said that just to organize it was incredible. They had uh, Native American runners that would run to each community. I mean, it's miles and miles from each other, and to all just uprise in one day was an incredible feat. Brother, listen to what we say. Our seats were once large. And yours very small. You have now become a great people, and we have scarcely a place left to spread our blanket. You have got our country, but you are not satisfied. How shall we know when to believe? Being so often deceived by the white man. Sacrifice my life, all the knowledge lost. All those who died and survived through the Holocaust. All our children live in broken homes. We pray for you. So you know that you don't go alone You know we sacrifice a life For our family, our people We'd rather fight and die No respect for a country that represents the slaughter We sacrifice a life to set free Native sons and daughters I'll give up all that I wanted for And promise to live for my people Honest, long as the problems exist The weak-minded disease Who's thought hobble and live We ain't honoring shit if we only wash my distance We on the front line Waiting for our pride to come back Till our people who bind decided they can finally attack The world that shunned us We stand firm, facing the void Creation a choice, alternatives to strengthen our voice Indigenous vision, can't let the wisdom all go The misery grows invisibly It rips up our soul Tries to stop the message so our people's factual base is based on hatred that'll never actually change unless we make it and live like the colonized do. The problems we choose are lies, not the fall of the truth. It's for my people who fight back and ponder our lives and wander in times of prophecy to honor our tribe. Fight my life, all the knowledge lost. All those who died and survived through the Holocaust. All our children You talked about the 1800s. Uh, in America, and um, during that time, it seemed like a lot of the Americans were headed out west, and as they went west, um, they had some reactions when they saw the Native Americans. So I was wondering, what were some of the reactions from the settlers when they confronted Native American slavery for the first time? Well, there was a range of reactions. Um uh, of course, we have to uh, remember that uh, these settlers from the east came from all over, from the south, from the from the south, which at the time we're talking about the early 1800s, I gather, um, from the south, where, which at the time was was uh, where African slavery was prevalent, all the way to the to the uh, northern colonies in New England. Um, so, so their reactions were very different, uh, and it, they it, they range from from surprise, uh, they were always very surprised. So, what I what I need to emphasize here is that Indian slavery had existed in the East as well, in the East Coast. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, 
but it had been a relatively early phenomenon uh, of the 17th century um, and also the uh, the 18th century. But that phenomenon was later on eclipsed by the uh, by African slavery. So planters all over these regions early on decided that they would be much better with plantations uh, worked by African slaves. And so uh, so Indian slavery as a phenomenon had receded from the consciousness of these uh, Easterners, except in a few pockets. So in the very south, so in the very south, especially in Florida, there were still... Um, traditions of enslavement harking back to even pre-Columbian uh, era. Um, but, uh, but for most white Americans from the East, uh, when they thought about slavery, they thought about Africans, uh, of course. And so they were all universally very surprised, even though their forebears may have practiced uh, or participated in forms of Indian slavery. Uh, by the early 1800s, they had forgotten all about that, and they had to re-encounter it anew in the West where uh, where these forms of enslavement were still going strong uh, in places like New Mexico, in places like California, Utah, uh, etc. And their reaction was surprise, uh, but also, uh, but more than that, uh, some of them rejected uh, this uh, whole thing, uh, these uh, these forms of bondage. But others uh, both tolerated um, these uh, forms of bondage and. Many of them also took part, became uh, part of the system, and they uh, they actually uh, used the Indian slaves in their properties, um, and you and took advantage of uh, native labor for all kinds of purposes. The Halusa Nation, the human beings, the people, see the spiritual in the natural sense and feeling everything is related all the things of earth and in the sky have spirit everything is sacred confronted by the alien nation the subjects and the citizens see the material religions through trauma and numb nothing is related all the things of the earth and in the sky have energy to be exploited. Even themselves, mining their spirits into souls sold. Into nothing is sacred, not even their self. The Ally Nation, Alien Nation. And you also talk about the uh, Native American peonage system. And I was wondering if you could talk about that a little and how that differs from slavery. Yes. Um, so uh, peonage is a very interesting. So one of the things that these Anglo-Americans coming from the East remarked was that the term used uh, often to uh, refer to these Indians was not slaves, but was peons. Um and uh and the system was uh based on the uh on the idea that these 
indigenous peoples, and not necessarily, there were some non-indigenous peoples uh, who were also in this peonage system, who ha had received uh, money from the owner, so they were indebted, and they were uh, obligated to work for them until they uh, were able to repay the debt. Uh, in reality, the system, because they had to live with the owner and they had to purchase food and other um, and other products from the from their owners, in reality, this was a never-ending cycle, um, and so they were indebted for life and therefore uh, in bo held in bondage for life. And oftentimes, the debts actually passed from from parents to children. Um, so, uh, so. So in practice, it was much the same as many um, observers at the time pointed out. It was no different. Peonage was no different from slavery as practiced in the South in practice. But the whole um, rationale for it uh, was very different. It was all masked in a uh, an agreement, initial agreement between the peon and the and the owner that had been uh, conducted willingly. And it was just uh, a little unfortunate that then these debts uh, occurred and then these, um, this relationship of bondage occurred. Um, so, so that was one. I remember when we started out, I said that these other slavery uh, took many different forms, and peonage was the most prevalent form. So indebtedness was the most prevalent form in which these other slavery occurred in many parts of the West. Wow. And, and and sticking with the West, you also talked about the Mormons and their role in Native American slavery. Um, mm -hmm. Can you can you explain that and explain how did the Mormons justify taking part in enslaving Native Americans? Uh, yeah, well, um, as I uh, mentioned in the book, uh, the Mormons are just one more example uh, of, uh, of a broader phenomenon of Americans, Anglo-Americans from the East moving West, uh, and uh, by virtue of just moving, becoming a part of the system. Um, they, um, Mormons began moving into what is now the state of Utah in the 1840s. Um, they very quickly... Um, saw their towns increase in, in, in number and population quite significantly. Um, and uh, at first, they, um, as they uh, relocated there, they uh, found out that some Indians held other Indians in bondage. And these Indians, especially Ute uh, Indians, who held Paiute Indians in bondage, would these, some of these would come to town and offer uh, these uh, Indians uh, for sale. Um, Mormons initially uh, refused to buy. They were not used to this kind of slavery, even though they were quite used to African slavery uh, before. Uh, they knew all about that institution. Um, so in order to... Uh, Brought the Mormons to buy these Indian slavers, offering slaves, often uh, tortured, especially we're talking about children, uh, tortured the children to call attention to their trade or to persuade reluctant buyers, and even got so far as to kill some of these Indians, uh, Indian, these children, um, 
in order to persuade uh, Mormons into buying other uh, children before they too were killed. Um, so, uh, so, so they were reluctant, but eventually they uh, started buying these Indians. And uh, the Mormons had a very peculiar theory about who the Indians uh, were. They believed that they had that the Indians had been uh, originally of the blood of Israel, as they called it, and that many many generations before they had crossed into the New World, and because they had been cut off uh, from Europe, they had acquired a darker countenance and they had become a little savage, etc. But that because of this original connection to the blood of Israel, they could be redeemed. And uh, this belief that these Indians could be redeemed uh, prompted them to um, to, uh, to adopt a policy, especially in the 1850s, to buy these Indians uh, in order to redeem them. Um, so they, so Mormons actually became buyers of these Indians, and it was a policy to to to, to buy them in order to redeem them. Um, and uh, in the book, I just note that this is exactly the same logic, the same rationale that Spanish conquistadors had used in the 16th century. Uh, so that is, acquire these Indians in order to convert them to Catholicism. Um, so, so in many ways, uh, this is a this is a story that had been played out over the centuries, and the Mormons, with their own particular beliefs, came to replicate as they uh, settled in and around Utah. And, and and to redeem them, did they did they want to integrate them into society? That uh, that is that was a very uh, difficult uh, thing to do. They uh, they wanted to um, elevate the Indians and to redeem them, as I say. But uh, if you look at the actual records, there were um, there was there were some difficulties in successfully integrating these natives. Into uh, into Mormon uh, into Mormon societies. In other words, they kept, they were kept as in in the family as menials as workers, but uh, but it was harder uh, for Mormons to, for example, marry some of these Indians, especially Indian males, had a had great difficulty into finding marriage partners within Mormon society. So um, so it's a very uh, a very complicated story.
no more. Stand up and raise your fist. We are the soul of the country, the reason it exists. Idol breeds evil, the people are not feeble. At the bottom of the pot is where they try to keep you. False information is what they gon' try to feed you. Keep telling us we're stupid, say they don't need you. It's a burning flames is where they try to lead you. Open up your eyes. Um, you also talk about uh, New Mexico and the uh, how the American Civil War led to the greatest Native American boom in that uh, territory's recorded history. Can you explain why? Um, sure. Uh, as I explained uh, before, New Mexico is a very, uh, demographically, a very interesting province because it had these Pueblo Indians, this core population, indigenous population, which later uh, worked with uh, Spanish and Anglo-American peoples living in these communities. Um, but they were surrounded by uh, various uh, indigenous groups, uh, most notably Apaches, Comanches, Navajos. Um, and uh, especially Navajos, they had a complicated relationship. And in the 1860s, the Navajos were raiding, and before, had, were raiding uh, some of these um, communities in New Mexico. And uh, the Civil War unfolded in New Mexico uh, troops moved from California into New Mexico. Um, it became clear that uh, that the North uh, won in New Mexico, and they needed to have these troops there uh, in case that there should be uh, an, uh, an invasion from the South. But basically they were on a standby status. They were just waiting about the result of the Civil War elsewhere in the United States. And so, so they had so so the officers in New Mexico had great military muscle, but uh, which they put to use by uh, unleashing these campaign and forming these policy of essentially a wholesale relocation of the Navajo Nation from their stronghold uh, to um, to uh, a reservation, the Bosque Redondo Reservation, uh, and these. Um, these series of campaigns gave tremendous opportunity to slavers, uh, Hispanic slavers, Indian slavers, um, and also some Americans who also participated in these uh, in these trade to uh, to essentially prey on the Navajos as they are being removed uh, wholesale from from western New Mexico to eastern New Mexico. Wow, yeah, and I think you it was referred to as the fearing time. Is that what you're referring to right there? That's right. That's incredible. That's so eye-opening. Um, uh, later on in the book, um, you talked about how some some kind of relief that came to the Navajo suffering and other Native American nations was kind of the, the American Civil War in itself because that war was a fight over slavery. And word got back to Washington politicians and abolitionist societies slavery existed in another form and you wrote about how people in the east of the united states easily identified with the south system of chattel slavery as a major national problem but they had a hard time rallying against native american slavery in the peanut system and i was wondering if you could say why why did they have a hard time grasping that Right. Well, I mean, it goes to the heart of this phenomenon that I call the other slavery, which is that uh, it is not a legal uh, institution. It is a set of practices 
Um, and it is not one type of practice, but it is a multiplicity of practices that go by very different names. So whereas the quote-unquote peculiar institution, everybody knew instantly what they were talking about. In the case of the other slavery, to use the global term, uh, we are really talking about a host of different uh, practices um, that take place regionally or locally, and so it's extremely difficult to understand uh, their full scope and also to stamp out because this is something that is not uh, in the books. It's not codified. It's just a set of practices. Uh, so, that, so I think that's exactly the reason why um, why politicians, especially back east, also bear in mind that, uh, you know, in the 1860s, the connections still between the east and the west are still very tenuous. So... Um, so it is just very difficult to, to do anything. Yet uh, federal action was absolutely necessary because uh, the uh, local and state governments were often either tolerant of the other slavery or in collusion with, um, with local slavers to preserve the system. Bismillah. Doing living by the Z code. What the fuck is Fleek though? Don't ask them, what do he know? What I forgot is better than whatever they remember. Never mind, I'm off it, it's quiet for him. Time to put the temper tantrums to the quiet corner. Hush, that's enough, said the ruler. No suckers allowed to break bread or asunder. The daylight, lightning, and the thunder. Sun, moon, stars, and the hunger. Abundance in bundles, blessings in troubles. Towers and tunnels, views and valleys, waves and peaks. Streaks you from sun, planet Earth. And ain't scared of no Mars attack. What type of bars is that? Stay off my chat. I'm out there calling riot garments, top five. Dying on and on them, super fly, slicker, top rope, eagles diving on them. You why you lying, homie? You won't play with my emotions, smoky. Big chief heart rate, big, big, talk, talk about the 13th Amendment. Well, the 13th Amendment is the amendment that prohibits, uh, that emerged out, out, of the, out of the Civil War, that prohibits uh, um, slavery. But it also, the language uh, in the amendment includes um, other forms of labor um, coercion. And uh, so for a moment, uh, there were doubts as to whether the 13th Amendment um, could be applied to uh, Indians held in bondage uh, in the West. Um, and there are discussions about this. Unfortunately, uh, the way in which the Supreme Court at uh, that time chose to interpret the, the 13th Amendment um, was to apply it um, specifically to the African and African-American case and to exclude uh, Native Americans from the protection of the 13th Amendment. Um, so, so, that was a, so that was a problem. Um, again, and again, um, Congress, uh, the U.S. Congress did uh, issue uh, regulations. Uh, for example, it passed the, uh, the so-called Peonage Act, um, abolishing or uh, prohibiting uh, the, uh, the holding of bondage of people as a result of arising out of debt, uh, which was great. Uh, but again, uh, these 
uh, these um, decrees, uh, while they had some effect, they were extremely difficult to implement on the ground. And so there is clear evidence that peonage continued even after the passage of the of this act in the 1860s. Yeah, and also uh, the 14th Amendment failed to bring relief to the Native Americans. And I think it's because of the phrase in there, quote, Indians not taxed. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, that was a very old uh, phrase to refer to Indians, uh, to exclude Indians uh, who were not living in communities as in the American or European fashion. Um, But... um, so, uh, so, so the inclusion of that terminology also, as you point out, limited the the applicability of the Fourteenth Amendment. So, what what truly helped bring relief to the Native Americans? Well, um, it uh, it did decrease. So, so the other slavery did decrease uh, towards uh, um, in 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 the twentieth century. Um, it, uh, it in the United States, it uh, it did not decrease in other parts necessarily. Uh, for example, I I point out that in the case of Mexico, all of in the case of Mexico, we have an economic revival in the late 19th and early 20th century, which would especially in places like the Yucatan Peninsula, where uh, Indians are being uh, enslaved and moved from one part of the country to the Yucatan to work in these plantations uh, that are thriving at that time. So what I what I say is this is not a, a cheery, unfortunately, this is not a story of a system that, uh, that, that begins and ends in some place and that things are getting better all the time, but it is a story of uh, uh, institutions that... Uh, change, that they get transformed, that they continue until the very present day. Uh, so I, uh, I I finished the book with a, with a, with a quick reference to uh, the modern forms of enslavement, which in many ways uh, resemble what I have been calling the other slavery. Uh, they, that is, that they don't, uh, that formal ownership has been replaced by other mechanisms of coercion, like uh, kidnapping and uh, indebtedness. Um, and uh, it remains with us. Um, it, uh, so the Walk Free Foundation, for example, publishes yearly reports about the prevalence of slavery in over 160 countries. I believe that the latest number they have arrived at is 45.8 million people worldwide. So, um, and uh, and, and you can you can establish a, a, a direct genealogy, genealogy between what I've been calling the other slavery and these uh, forms of modern enslavement. So it, in some ways, it just never went away. Mm-hmm. Correct. Um, from all of this groundbreaking research, what surprised you the most? Well, I think the the most surprising thing to me is that we had very little knowledge about this. I mean, I started out with very little knowledge about the full scope of this. Uh, it, uh, it it goes back to the question that you started with about our myopia. Um, we tend to la- to zero in on certain parts of history, certain uh, uh, traits of history, uh, and we completely lose sight of other uh, other facets that are 
uh, not as obvious, but they are, they are just as significant. So to me, it is incredible that in school we learn a lot about African slavery, but we uh, we learn next to nothing, or probably nothing, about Indian slavery. And so many people will be surprised just by the by the whole phenomenon that 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 many people have never heard of before. Why Why do you think it's not common knowledge? Well, I mean, again, uh, because it is not uh, one single institution, but because, but it's a multiplicity of institutions, because until quite recently we didn't have any good estimates of just how prevalent uh, this institution was. So I, for example, uh, compare uh, African slavery. Um, is it, it is estimated that that over 12 million uh, people were forcibly moved from Africa into the New World, uh, throughout its duration, uh, the corresponding number um, of, uh, of Native Americans uh, would be some, something between 2.5 and 5 million, according to my calculation, uh, between Columbus and uh, 1900. So, uh, so, so it is a very significant number, and only when we see this number, when we get a sense of the full, full scope, do we begin to, to understand just uh, how relevant and how important this institution also was. Wow. And lastly, what do you want readers to mainly take away from this book? Well, I mean, my hope is that I will have, uh, I will have made a convincing case that this is a very significant part of our history. And also that this significant part of our, of our history, in some ways, is continues to play out uh, in the modern world. So that's my 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 greatest hope for this book. Wow. Well, I just want to say it was an incredible eye opener, explosive. I mean, very insightful. Um, and reading the book, it showed me that yes, the, the other form of slavery, slavery is very complicated, and the way it is conveyed and portrayed. You can definitely see how it's still going on around the world today. Um, It's a real eye-opener. Well, Dr. Resendez, thank you so much for your time, and uh, it was a pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much, Taz. If you want to purchase the book or any of the music, I've included links in the show notes. Or you could just go to booksbeatsandbeyond.com. And, you know, what's cool is by clicking on the links – You support the guests, the music artists, and uh, we get a small commission, which is no extra cost to you, which we would then put toward the operations of this show. Um, And also, please click on the iTunes link to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And if you do this stuff already, just want to say thank you so much for your support. Remember, let's read, listen, explore.